This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! All right, Dunks and Discourse, episode 40, Sean Kemp edition, Rain Man. Um, man, the, the first round of the playoffs is is kind of winding down. We've got the uh, couple teams advancing today, Boston and Toronto, uh, completing the clean sweeps. we got maybe two of the three or four best games in the bubble period today with Luca just absolutely going to town on the Clippers, hitting a big winner, and Donovan Mitchell going for 50 in the, for the second time in a series, joining Michael Jordan and Allen Iverson as the only two other guys to do that. Uh, joined, as always, by my co-host at Jabari Davis NBA. Jabari, how you doing, man? Man, I'm great. And you know what? To be honest with you, you know, we, we said it before the show, but you know, for the folks, we, anti- we, we were initially going to record before this last game you know, of the night. I am so damn happy we didn't. See, and and I feel like just for both myself, we're gonna have we're gonna have to go back to yesterday and have to break some stuff down for me, and then we'll come back to today. Okay. But before we do that, I, I just need to. Yesterday, you know, I'm having the family gathering. Uh, you know, we're having steak on the patio, and I keep hoping every time someone goes inside, I'm like, are we moving inside? Hoping we can get a tell that we weren't moving inside. So I'm missing missing all the action in the afternoon, and evening. I checked the box score. I see LeBron and Anthony Davis are both going nuts. Um, I knew a LeBron game like this was coming. I was sad to miss it. But then I get home, and I'm tired, and I'm trying to collect myself. And I get woken up at, like, 2.30 in the morning last night, and uh, – my neighbor is doing not PG things with his lady on oh. the bel- on the balcony, <laughs> and she, what woke me was the screaming was so loud that I thought you know it was murder and it was that kind of I need to get up and neighborhood watch it a little bit but uh, they they did not need me to watch that so I, I went back to bed and I woke up and then basketball today so it has been a wild twenty four hours for me. It was a different type of killing it going on. So yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. that's pretty wild. That's actually that is really the wild. third time this month I've woken up to uh, that sound. I'm not sure why it's always two thirty in the morning. I'm not sure why they have to do that on the deck. But um, yeah, three times this month. Shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> shoot or shoot, I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, though, t- talk to me about Lakers Blazers though, because I missed this game yesterday. I was sad to miss. The Braun game that would, you know, hopefully have eliminated some of my worry. Yeah, look, we were on the same page when it came to that worry. It isn't that I was. It isn't what. It isn't that I was like legitimately saying like, "Oh, LeBron is washed" or anything of that nature. It was more of saying, 
hey, can he still get to that level? And by that level, I'm not saying you know, like you know, that, that first game was bad. You know, obviously, you had a triple double. You, you, I can't say that it was a bad game. But what I mean by is like you know, from the start of the game all the way through over the course of it, and then and then closing it out, is he bringing it like playoff? You know, quote unquote playoff LeBron. And we got that, and we got that. You know, from the start, uh, it it kind of answered the question, or not the question, it kind of uh, proved what we thought going into it. They don't have anybody to guard LeBron, and he basically just made the decision. I'm going to put my head down, take the ball to the rack every single time, and just force the issue. Once he did that, he got it going. Then it opened up his outside shot, and really it was just it was just a matter of, okay, AD, what are you going to bring? So in the first half, AD was a little bit, you know, was playing it a little bit, a little bit slower, and wasn't necessarily you know, inserting, asserting himself, but in the second half, he came out strong, and quite frankly, it showed that when both of those guys are rolling, to be honest with you, it's just going to be so difficult to beat that team, especially when everybody else is locked in defensively, which they were for long stretches of, you know, long stretches of play. You know what? I, it, it wasn't even the first game that Braun played. I think I talked about it. Maybe it was the radio spot. Maybe it wasn't here, but that he gave like a B outing. That it was, mm-hmm. you know, he, he definitely showed he can control the flow of a game, but he didn't really want to pull up for a jumper. He wasn't driving to the rack and it kind of spooked me that that didn't happen in the second game you know he didn't really contribute at all in that department but they were winning so you were like you know you, you kind of overlooked it but to see him you know get to the line 17 times shoot 50 percent on eight threes it looks like he had that game and even more impressive perhaps is danny green actually hit two of his four threes i see so you know things are looking up yeah danny green and kcp you know the Game one was disastrous for both of them, and like, and and afterwards, I was at the point where I was already saying, "What the hell are they doing? What the hell are we leaning on them for if, if they're not getting it done on either end of the court?" But it, it, they have had a nice little bounce back over these last couple of games, and, and you're right for Danny Green in particular. To be honest with you, he hasn't been able to hit the broadside of a barn for you know what seemingly the entire season. You know, and I recognize that anybody that's watched him, you know, extensively, you, you know, he's a he's as streaky as they come. But yeah, we just didn't, you know, as Laker, you know, as a Laker so far. The, you know, in his career, he has not had very many positive streaks, so it was good to see him see the bottom of the you know bottom of the net a couple times. Well, and I mean, I tweeted this out. I don't know if you saw this, but like from 2013 to 2016 in the playoffs, on 303 three three point attempts, he had 139. He was shooting 46 percent from three over those four playoff runs. Like that's that's the guy everybody's thought they were getting. Um, but since 2017, which you know that that run with the Spurs and then. Uh, with the Raptors to current date, he's 72, 226 in the playoffs, shooting 32%. Like, that is, that is a massive drop-off for a guy who's a specialist. It, it's, it's pretty significant. Yeah, and, and it, it's to the point where it's like, come on, man. Like, these are wide-open ones. This isn't even a matter of, like, oh, you, the, the hotly contested ones or, the, you know, the ones where folks are just you know, chasing you off the three-point line and you have to reset. No, the man is getting wide-open looks. So, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I don't want to harp on him or, you know, you know, too much. But prior to, like, you know, prior to that last game, I definitely was saying, yo, this we, we, we got sell a bill of, we, we got sold a bill of goods here. And uh, how, how did Dame look with the hand? I mean, Dame looked good. Dame still looked fine. You know, I, I didn't. There were a couple times in the broadcast where they mentioned it, and you know, he 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 didn't have one of those crazy games. He still made you know five from you know five from eleven from deep. Uh, he still got to where he needed to go. I didn't see him. I did he look? Him. Did he look hampered, or did he just? It was. I didn't see him. I didn't see him hampered all that. You know, all all that much. You know, I'll put it like this: there were still plenty of points in the game where I was like, oh shit, oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Or yep, well, that's Dame. And I'll throw out that, you know, in uh, 
like it was a winnable game. It was single digits, eight points for all those people who were, you know, CJ could do what Dame could do. 14 free throw attempts for Dame, zero for CJ. Like that is something you cannot overlook. I'm also, I'm going to have to go back and watch the tape on this because like what was Terry Stotts running Whiteside Nurkic? Um, Do you think he'll run that again game four? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I also had to say uh, you know, a similar criticism of you know, of Vogel at the start of this series when I said like, well, what the hell are we doing? Go ahead and you know, go ahead and put your know, AD at the five. Stop playing, you know, stop playing the double big man lineup. And what I've come to realize is he still, you know, he, he is you know playing AD at the five, you know, throughout large portions of the game. But he's specifically attacking Stotts, you know, that you know when Stotts tries to go big, he's specifically attacking them and tiring you know Nurkic out over the course of the game. And when you go back and watch this look at Nurkic in the second half like not just not just at down the stretch all the way dur- during the second half he was laboring and that's not a criticism obviously this is he hasn't played any real basketball in, in quite some time and he's just still he's still working himself back into shape and, and playing well at that but he definitely he definitely was worn down you know down the stretch of that game fair enough um let's go to jazz nuggets because that's what we just came off we literally are recording five minutes you know following the end of this game um you know, my two quick takes on the series is that Jokic hasn't been that good. Um, you know, like you look at his box score numbers and you think, oh, he's been pretty good, but he's just not been invested. It, it doesn't feel like to me like this is like the effort offensively, but especially defensively has just been abysmal. You know, like that. I mean, he, he's 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 fried chicken out there on the perimeter, no doubt. And Donovan Mitchell is doing his thing in the series, but there was one play specifically. He got Mitchell on the switch. You know, Mitchell kind of stuttered, stepped just inside the three, and and Jokic barely made it to the free throw line to challenge the shot. And like, he 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 clearly had time to take the step, and he just wasn't into it. And that kind of effort from someone that's supposed to be on the MVP ballot and the superstar is tough to watch. And and there's going to be, you know, lots of criticism of everybody who loses in the playoffs every year. And you know, we could talk about the race component, the market component. I know people want to compare Joe Embiid and Nikola Jokic. But just for the sake of the show, like it, it has not gone unnoticed that Jokic has not been great. Yeah, and you know it's, it's funny. I, I wasn't necessarily going to make it about race. I was just going to say like uh, Jokic seems to be everybody's darling, where uh, Embiid is no longer that. You know, people are are, are wait, you know are seemingly waiting to see, waiting and waiting, and have grown been patient with Embiid in ways that they haven't necessarily done with Jokic. And you know, but I definitely appreciate you you acknowledging that because you're right. The reaction that he's going to receive, and it was something that was you know that was tweeted about uh, you know just after the game. The reaction that he's going to receive, like say for instance, they do go you know go. Ahead and lose this in five is not going to be the same as as what we have seen from uh, about Embiid. The reaction that we have personally given you know, about Embiid in the way that in the in the level of expectations that we've had for him. Uh, but yeah, no, this is one of those you know this is a series where I'm not going to have any revisionist history. I thought for sure that the you know the uh, the, the while it would be a, a hard fought uh, series that the Nuggets would find a way uh, expressly behind the efforts of Jokic and Murray and and and. You know the guys that they do have there uh, that are healthy. I thought they would have enough in this series, especially you know given the fact that the Jazz were short-handed as well. But I don't want to take anything away from them. The confidence that Donovan Mitchell is playing with, the confidence that Jordan Clarkson in particular is also playing with, the confidence that all those guys are are bringing, it has been absolutely impressive. And you know what? You know testament to you know testament to you know Coach you know Quinn Snyder and the job that they've done, but also a testament to those players because everybody has stepped up for the Jazz. Yeah, and in recognition that like the, the Nuggets aren't whole. Like missing two starters and Gary Harris and Will Barton is huge. Yeah. Um, 
but that being said, like the Jazz were down Conley, they've been down Bogdanovich, and they've just battled. And the the effort from from <clears throat> Denver defensively has been brutal. Outside of Montemoris and uh, Jamal Murray, like it, it just hasn't been there. Paul Millsap, you know, he does a little bit of everything. I I, I honest to God, laughed my ass <laughs> off. <laughs> I think I think Donovan Mitchell had forty five at the time drives and they're losing the game Millsap gets a piece of the ball and stared him down like he just two-handed threw it down in his face and uh, the very next play Mitchell guts one in his job but even even before Mitchell hit that it was just hysterical to see someone losing and the guy's 45 and you're trying to stare him down like he's meat Doug, I've been there before where somebody was you know getting at me and like like say like at toward the end of a game I've at the free throw line the same type of situation they're talking that's when you absolutely hit it with scoreboard like like what are you doing what who are you looking at buddy you it's see a, what you see what I've been doing to your squad it's it's such a loser move man yeah like like there's you can't talk trash when you're up twenty and you can't talk trash when you're losing you know what I mean like there's there's a the the the, the mint trash talk is in those close games where you're going back and forth, not when you have, like, one significant play in the game and the other guy's got 50 points, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's chump change. Um, I do want to talk about Jamal Murray, too, though, because right. he's another guy that people on Twitter really like to pick pick on, and mm-hmm. I think somewhat rightfully so. Like he, He's a player, I would say, who kind of goes looking for it sometimes. But, I mean, this is a really good player, and, and he didn't even have a full... I want to say camp, but in the regulation bubble games, he only played four games. He's had two of probably the 10 best games that we've seen out of anyone in the playoffs. In game one, where he had 36 points, nine assists, and got the, the Nuggets their only win of the series. And then tonight, when he had like 50 points, I mean, he was going bucket for bucket. He had a phenomenal game. It's kind of unfortunate that people have written him off or continue. Like, I, you know, I saw a joke from, from Nikias, um, who I think we both follow on the timeline, saying that he was like the Andrew Wiggins of Kyrie Irving's. And I. Like, so, so okay. It, you know, like I, I got a chuckle out of it too, but I'm just like sometimes people are trying too hard to be like insightful. Jamal Murray is also only 23 years old. Exactly, and I'm glad that you made that point. Look, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna mess with you from time to time. I'm gonna call refer to him as Canada Dry and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, I'll take a 23 year old guard with you know with, with that capability. He's streaky as all hell, and and you know kind of to the point that you were making. Yeah. Some of the you know, some of the skepticism at times is warranted. The criticism that's just piling on, and that's just because you know sometimes folks just like to you know, uh, give the Nuggets a lot of you know, a lot of crap or or give bloggers you know a lot of crap for all you know, always showing the Nuggets love. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, he's in that same conversation with you know you know with that group of you know of young guards that we you know we often talk about. Uh, if he can do it consistently, and obviously if he can actually you know put forth the same type of effort, or at least just a consistent effort on the defensive end, he he, he would propel himself even further in that conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I I'll put it like this: I don't think he's the problem there in Denver. Yeah. Well, no, I don't, I don't think so either. And smart people don't think that. But I I yeah. think people look at him like he's like. Someone else tweeted tonight that he'd be better off as a six man, and that's his, <clears throat> that's right. his destiny. But I, I, like he's six four. I've always kind of seen him in the Kemba Walker light. He's four inches taller than Kemba Walker. Okay, mm-hmm. Kemba was one of ten um, in the first two games from three against Philly. Did not shoot particularly well. Had nineteen and twenty two points. Is that really better than having thirty seven in game one and thirteen in game two? Like. This is the playoffs becomes a game of, of you know pick your hunter and it's all P and R and it's finding the switch that you want and you're trusting your guard to you know just beat the hell out of whoever the matchup that they have in front of them is and you're and you're trying to find that liability like 
there's gonna like that's just the name of the game now. It's gonna be high volume and they're gonna be streaky nights. But but Jamal's guy is gonna be an all star. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. comfortable with that. No, he is. He he he. One hundred percent is going to be. I I don't think that's a hot take to say. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, like you mentioned those two players, and you know, people have you know could have called me a hater because. I don't have as much love for the you know or diminutive guard that is generally just a scorer or primarily a scorer, and you know as others do. Um, Kimba, you know, like I, I made some people mad before when I acknowledged that I would probably take Kimba over Kyrie. It's not that I'm saying that you know Kimba has reached the heights that Kyrie has. Obviously, Kyrie had a great, a brilliant run alongside LeBron and, and that group. Uh, but in terms of uh, for my team, I would still take Kimba. But like, like say for instance, you were asking me to choose between those two players, I'll take the younger, bigger guy, and it would still be Jamal. And I don't necessarily know that a lot of people would agree with that. Well, yeah, and maybe for this playoff run, you'd say Kemba, but if you say the next three or four years, you're going to take Jamal for sure. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm going to put that out there. You might be like, hey, man, I'm not sleeping on Jamal. Why are they spending so much time? I just want to make it clear, like, you know, jokes are jokes. Like Andrew Wiggins, like Andrew Wiggins, I think maybe too, is obviously the Canadian to me. Like Andrew Wiggins was such a massive national disappointment from where he was hyped up to be. Jamal's kind of the opposite, where he was a good player with nowhere near that expectations, and he's vastly exceeded them, and he's only 23 years old. So, I, but, I, I do just want to quickly say, I think with the, the conversation on, on by, oh, wait a second, my goodness. <laughs> you know, the whole time I, I, I was picturing in my head Andrew Bynum, and you were oh, Andrew Wiggins. Because I, yeah. I was just about to get to fit, so I was like, wait, I think we've gone too far. But okay, damn, yeah, that's kind of rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. no. Yeah, and it, again, it's a different conversation. Um, you know, before we go through more of these series, too, uh, NBA draft lottery happened, you know, in between our uh, last recording date, Wednesday night and tonight. Um, any thoughts on the lottery? Knicks, Knicks fans upset moving to eight, Minnesota having number one. I hope Minnesota gets it. Yeah, honestly, I mean, you, you know, I don't, pay, I don't pay a, a, a ton of attention to the draft, but I did notice it. I hope Minnesota gets it right, and I hope that they can find, find, you know, however, whether it's you know drafting the right guy or packaging that up for the right guy in order to get some, get the the right mix of players in there so they can finally have some, you know, uh, the fans there can have some successful basketball to, you know to, to to root for. But when it comes to the Knicks, man, it's like yo, it, and this is a joke that's been made. I'm not you know breaking anything here. How can you be so bad at losing when you're so good at it? Yeah, yeah, no, and but you know what? Someone like I'm sure lots of people have made the point, but the Knicks fall into eight in the draft where no one seems confident knowing who the best player is is not not the worst. It isn't. So, but are so, you confident that? Well, I get. I, I normally would say, are you confident that they would that they'll make the right decision at eight? But then again, I have to give this new regime the opportunity to show me that they're still the Knicks. I think the last time they drafted eight at eight two was the year that they. Had the right guy lined up, they wanted Steph Curry, and he went one before them. So Who, the, they, the Knicks? They, no, yeah. the, the Knicks drafted Malik Monk at eight, didn't they? Or not Malik Monk. Um, they, they took Jordan Hill, but it was the year that they said they wanted Steph Curry, and he oh, went right okay. in front of them. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Frank Nilakina, I think, was eight. For whatever reason, it, that, that number eight oh, Knicks is standing okay. out to That's me. That's their pick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Minnesota has one playoff appearance in 16 years. Come on, man. Once. And, you know, this is a team that made a big move um, acquiring D'Angelo Russell, and they catered at least somewhat to, like, Carl Anthony. They did the right thing in trying to bring in a friend to Carl Anthony Towns and, like, maintain that relationship so mm-hmm. that they don't have to restart. And I am very empathetic to, like, 
small market teams dealing with a bunch of crap and, and having, you know, stars wanting to request out in the NBA right now bothers me and agents having too much influence bothers me. But you have had 16 years to figure something out, Minnesota. You haven't done that. Um, they've had the number one overall pick on the roster four of the last eight years. Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins in the Kevin Love trade. Carl uh, Anthony Towns in the number one pick this year. I know this isn't a draft that people are like LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards or whoever else it's going to be. Obi Toppin, whoever the, like, the guys that are in contention are not guys that people are like, this guy's going to be a superstar MVP candidate. But they said the same things about 2013 when, you know, Victor Oladipo and Anthony Bennett and those guys, and that was the honest draft. Yeah. So Minnesota needs there, – there will be, I, I would bet – Rather, I would bet hand over fist. There's a like an eight-time all-star somewhere in this draft because there usually is, and Minnesota needs to figure it out and pick the best guy because there's not going to be a lot of empathy for me if Towns wants to leave in three years and they've had two decades to put together a winner and haven't done that. Well, we can go ahead and fast uh, fast forward the clock because I think that's going to be the case. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope they can find like you know kind of like we both said, find the right guy. No matter you know no matter who that ends up being. Uh, and, and like I said, just even I'm not expecting them to be world beaters, but be, get back into the actual playoff conversation at the very least. Because yeah, yeah get back, like get back. You, to, I'm not going to feel sorry for him. Get back to being the seven eight seed with yeah. with Cat and Malik Beasley, so we can debate whether Malik Beasley is the new Wally Serbiak in good faith. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it is an interesting draft though because Minnesota's pick is unprotected, I believe, next year. Golden State owns it. Golden State has number two. You know that uh, Warriors bloggers everywhere have been throwing out just about any name they could for number two and Wiggins for whoever. So, I, I mean, it does feel like there's going to be a lot of talk heading that way as we head out of the playoffs. Um, yeah, it, 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 in all, I, I can't see this Warriors team actually taking somebody that they plan on playing. Yeah, and like I, I mean, I, I've seen some stuff with James Wiseman, but... Um, we could we could debate the merit of you know taking a guy that they don't think can play defense mm-hmm. in space or shoot the ball in today's yeah, NBA at another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, neither one of us is a big draft guy, so as we get closer, we'll bring on somebody for that. For sure. um, okay, so Los Angeles Clippers, Dallas Mavericks. Um, this is probably my favorite basketball game in a very long time. Oh man, this this was I don't know. Is it fair to say instant classic? Yes, it's absolutely fair to say that. And I don't, you know what? Let me just say this really quickly. I'm going to and turn it back over. Go to hell, all you people trying to like poo poo all of this stuff and, and, and stop us from appreciating Luca and stop us from appreciating Jamal and Donovan Mitchell and these great games. Go to hell. This shit is dope. The NBA has done a great job and these guys should be committed for it. Now, please, sorry, please continue. <laughs> I, I just, you know what? Like this, the, to have great highs, you need, you need low lows. And when this game started, I think the Clippers were up 12 at one point early in the mm-hmm. first quarter. Kristaps Porzingis was a scratch 10 minutes before game time. Luka hurt the ankle in game three. He was going to give it a go, but like obviously not having him at full strength was less than ideal. And when, that ga- when the game started like that, I, I honestly was like, Man, what a, like what a buzzkill! This was such a fun series. This was such a fun narrative building. Luka had been great. This Mavs teams had had been in it, and it, it was like truly disappointing. Man, I was I was like you know the girlfriend was like, hey, do you want to go ride your bike up the hill? And I was this close to being like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I, I was that close, man. 
And then you know things start to turn around. I was like, okay, maybe we'll go in five. Okay, maybe maybe we'll go. Maybe we'll go in the at the end of third. Okay, no, we got to stay for the fourth. Okay, it's going to overtime. You yep. know, but but it was it was very close to like at the end of the first quarter with me being like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to sit through this. Like I, I I was just feeling really down about the situation. But sure enough, um, Rick Carlisle and this team, and and I I mean I want to credit like Luca. Obviously, because he he's the star of the show, and what he did today is is going to be special for a long time. But this Mavericks team just beat arguably the title favorite he- heading in with Trey Burke as their second best player. You know, okay, so here's one for you. I know it might have come across as a bit simplistic last week when I mentioned how hard everyone plays and how well bought in every single member of that rotation is to their role. But that's a lot more significant than I think than it seems to some people. Carlisle and crew obviously are great from an X's and O's standpoint, but another aspect of honestly being a great coach and a great and being a great coaching staff is the ability to keep guys motivated, locked in, and bought into whatever you know is being asked of them on a given night. And they and every single player does that. Now, yes, they have you know they all have set roles, but I you know you've seen situations where they shorten the rotation or where they switch things up. Nobody complains. Nobody's sitting there looking down. Nobody's sitting there you know uh, 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 bitter or anything of that nature. And I know that there may be some people out there to say, well, hey, this, these are professional you know, athletes and this is the playoffs. Trust me, if you paid attention at all, you, you, you can see that that's not always the case. I, I am so impressed by the Mavericks. I am so beyond impressed. Yes, it still feels like they're doing this a bit early, but hey, they're here now. And you know, they're 2-2. And you know damn well this could be a 3-1 series. Yeah, I mean, like it legitimately could. And, and I don't want to like depreciate or um, sound ungrateful or be harsh, but like... Dorian Finney-Smith was a guy they found from nowhere. Yes. Tim Hardaway Jr. was thrown in as dead weight. Trey Burke was a guy that got let go this season who probably mm-hmm. could have helped the Philadelphia 76ers. Seth Curry, I didn't realize this, 30 years old today, mm-hmm. <coughs> has been on how many teams, had how many chances, has a been a key component. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was, ha- has been discarded. He was looking like he Seven might not times. have another NBA contract. Um, Maxi Kleber, again, you know, like, more of a, a rep there, but still, like this team outside of Luca and Kristaps Porzingis is is a bunch of undesirables who have now under Rick Carlisle and alongside Luca played incredibly, incredibly hard, gritty basketball. Um, and and I don't think you take that for granted, especially when Doc Rivers is making comments after this game about you know how they weren't emotionally ready and they were emotionally weak and. Mm. I kind of laughed talking about his team, and I kind of laughed because I was like, yeah, who is exactly is that on, do you think, um, Doc? But Exactly. You, you look, from the Clipper side of things, I realize they're missing Pat Bev, and at least in theory that removes some, you know, somewhat of their you know, backcourt you know, attack against Luka, Tim, Seth, and Trey. And, you know, but i got to be honest with you, you know, you know, all those guys are pretty much having their ways you know, with this Clippers defense in a manner that we were told simply would not happen once the Clippers, you know, were in the playoffs and they were, you know, they were locked in. So, uh, yeah, yeah, man, this is a, I, you know, the, those types of quotes are always funny to me. But the truth of the matter is, this is one of those situations where, yes, the Clippers can, you know, can completely, you know, turn this around and go ahead and, and still win this series. But I am no longer as locked into them, you know, in terms of being like, you know, that that dead set contender that I was before. Now, do I, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that once they get through here, they can't just, you know, flip the switch or continue to improve upon what they're doing and and get to, get to that point to where they look like that team. But right now, I don't know. Yeah, and I, like I, I still don't think the Mavs are winning this series. It would be like it would be amazing. I'm open to, it. Yeah. So, but you know what? I, I do like 
Doc needs to make some adjustments. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, in going into game three, it is super whack that you have Paul George, who is an all-defense level defender, who's 6'10 with long arms, and you have Kawhi Leonard, who's literally one defensive player of the year twice, and shut down Jimmy Butler, shut down Giannis, um, was playing, you know, KD at very minimally, but yeah, in the finals, Clay, etc. And you are starting Marcus Morris on Luca. And I, some, they were trying to give me <laughs> stats about like, oh, well, in 14 possessions, even though this data isn't accurate and we don't even know in the play tracking, he's only shot 41%. Like, you know what? No, man, I'm telling you, Luca's cooking Marcus Morris. Like, and I understand the Clippers are switching, but look what happened today. Mm-hmm. You know, look what, yeah, they're switching, and he switched on to Reggie Jackson. He put one in between his eyes and won the game. And I just think if you play basketball, you know who the primary defender is. I don't understand why Market or why Kawhi Leonard or Paul George like. Maybe that's just it's the narrative writer the, theatrical nature. But like Kawhi, if I was Kawhi Leonard, I'd be like, you know, what? I'm strapping Luka next game. I'm the best player in the world. Like, where is that? Look, I'm gonna say this straight up. I need to see that. I need to see the both of them say enough of this switching up, up up top. I recognize we do it over the course of the year because it saves our bodies and, it, and, and all of us For are sure. changeable and all of that good stuff. This is a damn playoffs, man. This is a playoff series where, again, you could be down 3-1. I don't want to harp on that, but I, I'm just saying that's how serious, that's how severe the situation is. So if I, you know, like I, I made the joke on Twitter earlier, I need to, I need Kawhi to be so far up in Luka's shit that you got to peel him off of him in the post game. I don't give a damn what the, you know, what the general strategy is lock up and get up in there i'm not and, and this is, i'm not hating on luca you know i love to see him cook i'm just disappointed because i expected to see an absolute battle especially in the second half and in particular down the stretch and we just didn't get to see that yeah and i mean again like that today the clippers had more free throws Kawhi offensively has been fire this whole series he's been he's been great but you know luca is 21 years old in his first ever playoff series and the argument for a guy over Kawhi over a guy like Luca is one experienced better shooter mm-hmm. and lights out defender, which is something that Luca's not doing. It, it it's bizarre to me that you know, and I, it's not just Kawhi. Like I'm, we're picking on Kawhi because he's the guy. Obviously, Paul George has been terrible, but you've seen that all already. But like maybe Paul George too. It's like okay, I can't shoot. Maybe yeah. something is wrong with your shoulder. Luca had more points today in Game Four than Paul George had in Game Two, Three, and Four combined. Like, okay, something's wrong with your shoulder, Paul. You're not yourself. You're not contributing as a scorer. Take on the challenge of Luka and and, and make his life hell. And here's the thing with Doc Rivers. He has never had a title contender team overachieve. He's never been in the mix where that team, you know, they should be in the mix, win it. The year that they got Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and won the title in free agency, they won. And we can debate all day on whether, like, the merit of that title, et cetera, but you had three, possibly four Hall of Famers come together overnight in an era where the talent wasn't what it was now. Those Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Clippers team, they went to the semifinals with Vinny Del Negro. They never went further with Doc. Tracy McGrady, at the peak of his powers, when people were like, hey, he might be better than Kobe. He might be be the best player in the NBA, was a legitimate talking point. They never won a series. So now, all of a sudden, Doc Rivers, who got a ton of Coach of the Year praise because he was the scrappy, plucky underdogs of the Clippers last year, has a title-contending team, and they might lose round one to the seven seed behind um, a single-star team in his first playoff debut. Like, it, you know, Doc Rivers should take some shit. Look, if they lose this series, he's absolutely going to take something. And, and, and again, and I'm saying this for the benefit of some of the audience, not for you. I know that you get this. 
the Clippers could come out and win these next two games, and you know, they take the series four two, and we can all and, and tell us all to shut the hell up. Of course, that could take place. I don't think anybody here, anybody that's associated with this, anybody that's been watching this series, thinks that's going to take place. And I and I and I I would bet, to be honest with you, if they lose this first round, you're going to think that I'm overreacting here. Doc is out of there. Well, I mean, there is there's new management, right? Like, I mean, he he was there before Jerry West, so um, I don't know. We'll see. I like I I think Doc Rivers is an overrated coach. And, and I say that knowing that, you know, player relationships are the most important job of an NBA coach today. And I, and I understand he's quite good on that front. But Absolutely. the lack of in-game adjustments, the lack of a game plan, the fact that you've got Kristaps out of there for two games as a 2-2 series against a way less experienced team, is it does, it does not speak highly of you. Um, <clears throat> with that said, let's, let's take a break here and a uh, quick word from our sponsors. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. Wish NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. You, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and Direct TV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday Ticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products uh, claim organic, but they still claim up to, they still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine. The cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm or targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. But only until Labor Day. Go right to theragun.com slash bluewire. Uh, we got another one coming at the end, and we're going to keep going. So Toronto and Brooklyn. Um, Raptors took care of business today. Their bench had a hundred. They had a wilt. <laughs> they, they had a hundred points. Uh, Put 150 up as a team in regulation. Like, <laughs> um, I'm very excited. I, I think this Toronto-Boston series is going to be fucking great. I really do. Um, it, it, and I feel bad for the Nets, like, Good on Karis Levert because th- he had no reason to keep keep going, and I think he had like thirty in the first half, 
I was barely watching this game. It was total background noise. But I, the, the Lowry injury is the issue. Lowry went down in the first quarter, um, ankle, leg, and uh, kind of waiting to hear what happens with him there because that that's that's a huge domino. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be tough to really give an opinion on the on that Boston-Toronto series until we find out the extent of that. You know, if it is just a matter of he's going to be a little bit gimpy and he, and, he, and he can go out there, they got, you know, Mr. Miyagi in, in the locker room hooking him up, whatever the case may be, that's fine. But if he's going to be slowed or if he's going to be out, well, then obviously that, you know, that changes things significantly for these Raptors. Yeah, and I mean, so the, the good news is they get four days off. Um, it's Sunday night recording now. He heard his... Leg begin Sunday afternoon. They don't play till Thursday, game one. So we're also going to record another pod. We'll record a pod Wednesday night. So we'll have a chance to kind of, you know, know what the update is and we can make our predictions then. But, For sure. um, man, the Raptors looked pretty good. And I've seen, like, a number of analytical projections and stuff, and it seems like more people are leaning towards the Raptors. I think 68% the, the thing that Jacob Goldstein on Twitter did um, for his metric, and I took a poll, and the early returns on the poll are sixty-one percent of ra- of fans think Raptors in six or seven. So, it, again, already without even knowing the extent, without even knowing about Lowry. So I, I would imagine if we knew Lowry was good, that'd be closer to seventy. That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, hey, I I, I give those people credit. I'm gonna wait and see. I'm gonna wait and see just, uh, just before I make that determination. I, I I do wonder though about how playing a team like Brooklyn that literally never had a chance. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I mean, you you could have gone down o three, and just been the first team ever to come back from o three because that's how locked in it was that you were winning against that team mm-hmm. of you know primarily replaced. I wonder how that affects you because, um, you know, Nick Nurse was running deep and a lot of the reserves were getting a lot of minutes, so maybe that helps you with rest. But um, I you know Norman Powell's not going to get to run through. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart the same way he was doing with like Karis LeVert and Tyler Johnson and some of these other guys so I, uh, I kind of wonder if that, that gets them early a bit. I think the hope has to be that that, that while yes you know that that, that was a, a path of uh, lesser resistance uh, you, you have to hope that that extra time that it got for all those reserves only, only uh, you know uh, impacts in terms of um, you know overall confidence against, against those better against a better matchup I, I mean, really, if I'm a Raptors fan, that's what I have to hope. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I the, I still think the scoring, they've somewhat answered that in a platoon-style approach, but I still think that's going to be a thing. Um, their opponent, Boston, took care of business today against Philadelphia. <clears throat> you know what? When people say, like, everyone is killing this guy or why is no one going after this guy I'm, I'm a bit of a narcissist here or maybe I'm overestimating my ability <laughs> but given how much time I spend watching basketball and being on the timeline I often call bullshit and people were saying like people were coming for Embiid I didn't see anyone coming for Embiid today I, yeah if, if we're being honest there, there weren't really many because all of us knew what was coming yeah pe- you know, people knew, knew without knew Ben that they weren't winning this series exactly and you know there's a lot of people myself I think yourself included that we think that, you know, the Sixers would be better off choosing between Joel and Ben and building a team up. But we both also recognize that Elton Brand made some terrible decisions. Um, you know, God bless Tobias Harris. That was a heck of a, a fall on the head, and I'm glad he's okay. Um, his best game of the series on a high note. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Tobias Harris and Al Horford and Josh Richardson didn't work out, and the Horford-Harris contract combination is frightening. Did you see um, that quote from Josh Richardson after the game? No, what did he say? 
He said, it, it, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially he said, it seems like there was no accountability from the start. And, oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, and, and, and basically saying, like, you know, the, you know the, two, the two young stars being coddled is is, is really the, is, is, is the root of the problem. And the reason why I mention that, not because it's like, oh, oh more salacious, you know, stuff, but specifically, that's what we've heard in the past as well. Yeah, and I mean, Chris Haynes wrote a story, too, that, you know, he had a source from somewhere um, talking about, you know, this team and... You know, he, he wasn't exactly, you know, steering the ship the way he maybe should have been. But more specifically, there was some in, some info there in like regards to Brett didn't really like how Jimmy Butler spoke out sometimes and questioned the leadership, and that might have been part of the friction there. But there was also a nugget that, like, Ben Simmons really took offense to, I guess, in a team text message. Jimmy Butler sent out a message calling Simmons out on something and saying that he needed to change X, Y, and Z before the next game in the team group chat. And... Apparently, Simmons was, like, really significantly bothered by that, and that might have played a role um, in Jimmy's departure. And I just think, like, as much as I love Simmons and as much as I, I think people who think, you know, Jordan and Kobe, the only way to win are full shit, like, you can be a great leader without yelling in someone's face. You know, a, a team text message to be like, hey, you know, pick up the coverage here. Or you really got to take that jump shot if you're open. Whatever it was, um, that's pretty soft to, to be really upset about that. Yeah, like it, like part of me is like it had to have been like Jimmy had to have gone real hard in the paint or something like that. But either way, it's like yo, bro, like if you're gonna let that get to you, like I, I gotta tell you, you're you're really not built for this. And I'm not, I'm yeah, not, gotcha. gonna, you know, and I know that you're not calling him soft as as a, you know as, as a as a human being or anything like that. But I'm gonna say that's a soft mentality. Well, God forbid someone calls him a ba white boy. Because then, <laughs> then Simmons' boat will be rocked forever. Um, uh, and I mean, let's let's spend twenty seconds there. All right. Here's my thing, I and mean, Jamari, you really can't speak to this because you're not a white male, so you don't you don't really know all what right. it's like to be called white boy. <laughs> and I gotta say, man, like, white boy cuts deep if you're an infant and have never played a sport and <laughs> maybe never met another human being. Like Luca, <laughs> Luca. The thing is, like, there are stories in Europe about like fans throwing bottles and yep. they've had like full out civil wars over over race and uh you know he he was not the white boy bitch ass white boy he didn't lose one one second of sleep no one lost one second of sleep and and, and for it to be an issue was annoying and it was performative as we've seen before um but then i really thought t- like the the broadcast team spending you know, a minute there showing them shaking hands in the line and being like, see, there's not bad blood here was just so ridiculous. Yeah, it's overplayed. Like, I'm going to say this. To the crowd that's saying things like, oh, hey, if it was in reverse, that, that, that is not the same. And we know this. I, rec- I, I, I recognize that it stinks and you shouldn't say it. But let's not even have the conversation of like, oh, well, what happens if the same thing was the same reverse? Because we all, we, we all understand the difference in the power dynamics and, and across the board. Yeah. And, all of and that I, said, you know, it, I don't think it phased Luca. In, in fact, if anything, all he did was go out there and bust that ass the very next time yeah. he had the opportunity. Well, I know it didn't. And, and then, like, the, the next play after he said that, he was in Montrez Harrell's face and he was like, stop flopping big man or something. Yeah. Like that, which is super, like, soft trash talk too but like he was not but that's part of the game and like yes in an an ideal world Montrezl Harrell would have just been like take that brother yeah. and you know or, but that's not know. that's yeah. not real yeah that's like that's it, no one's upset it, it was it's just a crazy thing man like yes 
I understand everything you're saying, and like everyone who's like, well, you know, they shouldn't say it and it was reversed. Yeah, sure, whatever, but it caused no harm. It caused like, it, it was a really silly non-story, and I just I kind of thought that was, um, I thought the NBA playing into it was just super ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those where it's like I agree, but I also get it. It's the NBA, and the, you know, it's kind of it's kind of predictable that they would play into it like that, whether well, knowing or not. And that kind of leads us into we, we've been. We want, we're going to talk about this last episode. We're going to get a chance. This whole ratings conversation. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to read that Ethan Strauss piece from The Athletic? I saw the clippings from it uh, the other day, but uh, for my benefit as well as the all, uh, for, as well as the listeners, uh, uh, give me a reminder. Okay, so Ethan Sherwood Strauss, who is a very talented writer, works for The Athletic, has done some excellent work in the past, essentially put two points together. Um, which, which are both conversations that the NBA is having, and they're both valid, but he, he didn't really connect them in a way that was believable. The first being that the NBA is not seeing the ratings that they would like to see in the restart, and that the ratings have gone down somewhat over the last couple of years. Um, it's an objective fact. It is what it is. His point of measurement is the Nielsen rating. Do you happen to know about the Nielsen ratings? Yes. I mean, it, it, it feels like the most outdated system of uh, of gathering this information that you could possibly have still yeah. used. For, for, for those that don't know, the Nielsen rating accounts for American television's watching. So for a, a game like the NFL where there's essentially zero interest outside of the country, I think it probably paints a pretty f- fair picture of how many people are interested and how many people aren't interested. Um, in, in, in for the NBA, which has spent the last two decades trying their very best to attract an international audience, um, I don't know that you know polling four hundred million Americans opposed to seven and a half billion people on the planet really gives you a picture of how many people are watching the NBA. And we could debate a million things, you know, like people are gone for the summer. These some of these games are on during the day. There was lots of reasons that the ratings could be down. The ratings are down. That's that's just the reality. The ratings have never been as high via the Nielsen metric as they were during the Jordan years. It's just a fact. But again, like how many people are watching in China? How many people are watching in India? How many people are watching Canada, Brazil, Morocco, France, wherever? How many people are illegally streaming? Mm-hmm. How many people have cut cable? Like there's there's a lot of things in there. People are like, oh, I don't think that's that big of an effect. But we don't know. So that was the first point that he made. And so I, I guess before I go to the second one, do you have a, a solid theory why you feel American households are not watching as much NBA basketball? Uh, I, no, not really. I mean, it, it could be a matter of we simply have a lot more options these days. It could be you know kind of like you know to your point, uh, scheduling thing. It, it could just be that it could just be that uh, the the NBA, while obviously it's an American product. Has you know kind of you know taken a step back in terms of you know its hierarchy. Um, I, I actually have no idea, but I'm going to keep it real with you. This is a point that we both kind of made on a timeline. Why does it matter to to the consumer? Like what? Like ultimately, it does not impact my viewing. You know my view. You know my viewing pleasure. It doesn't impact me in any way. To like to think like, oh man, there's not enough people in the flyover states watching this alongside me. No, like I'm a hundred percent fine with it. Yeah, I, I don't give one shit. And um, here's the thing, too. Even if it got... I don't think it's even close to this, but if it got to the point where like the NBA was no longer profitable mm-hmm. <laughs> at the level they're at. I mean, 
you hear older players who have been retired for some time talk about the outrageous and outlandish salaries that NBA players have today, and they're jealous. Mm-hmm. If it got to the point where like the NBA owners were like, we're no longer turning a buck, and the salary cap has to go this much, it's up to the players and the owners to debate that. It's not yeah. my money. Yeah. I don't give a shit. And frankly, like if it got to the point where the owners were only making... I don't know. Some I'm gonna make up some arbitrary number. You're like five million dollars a year, and NBA players only made a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to play professional basketball. You would see no tears from me because that's still a pretty good life. Yeah, but again, this is from two people who don't make millions and millions of dollars. It's not our fight. Yeah, exactly that. Like, I, I and of course you know you're offering an extreme example that would never go down. the most extreme. Yeah, yeah the yeah. most extreme example it would never go down to that level. But truth be told, at the end of the day, I'm not gonna like. Just like I always say, hey, get those checks, get that money. I'm not really worried about your money, man. So please just go out there and oop, and uh, let's keep the, let's keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I think the NBA salary cap right now is 109 million dollars. If they went down to 85 or whatever, that would save owners a ton of money and players, and then they have to debate it. It is what it is. But yeah, to your point, I, I don't know why people are so upset about it. The other thing is, it's become very and performative. It's maybe becoming one of my buzzwords on here: overrated, performative. We'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, it's become very performative like uh, is it that the Warriors just when Kevin Durant came is it that um, because Kevin Durant came and there was essentially no chance that anyone else could win unless they got hurt um, did did that hurt the ratings is it that you know LeBron James played on the Cleveland Cavaliers for a long time rather than the Los Angeles Lakers or the New York Knicks or the Chicago Bulls or the Philadelphia 76ers like the, the bigger markets in the NBA is that a factor is it that player movement happens so often and teams you know don't have the fans don't have the same attachment to their stars I really think everyone has their own idea on this, but mostly it's just what they feel should be changed in the league, and in reality, it's probably a little bit of all of it. That's exactly where I'd like. I was just going to wait for you to finish and say, yes, the answer to that is yes. It's not one of those things. It's not like all of, of, of a couple. All of those things factor in, and, and, it, and, and to me, it's like, okay, like if the NBA as, a, you know, as an entity wants to address these things and wants to do something about it, go, you know, go for it. But as long as the actual product on the court isn't impacted, honestly, whether I'm working, you know, <laughs> working covering the league or just watching it as a fan, I honestly don't care at all. So that was the first part of the article. Ameri- less Americans are watching the NBA. Then he tried to target why. And he really hit the NBA on here. Like, the NBA has made a stand that they are, you know, um, a liberal entity to some extent. And they, you know, support the players. And the black they've taken a stance on Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But he, he basically makes the case that because the NBA has somewhat committed to being viewed as a progressive entity that they've lost the conservative viewership and then he also goes on to say that it also comes off hypocritical when they handled china so terribly and um again he he makes some very fair points they literally had academies where kids were getting beaten um in the nba's house you know like they 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 fucked up you know, with everything going on in Hong Kong with the protesters and, and being pro-minority and being pro-free speech, they really fucked up um, by limiting what people could say about China because they wanted to protect their business interests. So is the NBA hypocritical in business first? Yes. Do I think that the, there's this massive conservative base that all of a sudden isn't watching the NBA because Black Lives Matter are on jerseys? No. 
Yeah, I, I got to be completely honest with you. I think le- I think far less people care about that hypocrisy than, than you honest, you know, than, than some people will you know would credit. Uh, I, I recognize that on online people will make the point, especially if they're not necessarily in a positive state, you know, at a, in a positive place with you know with their NBA fanship or whatever the case may be. But truth be told, the, you know, this is stuff that's been going. And I'm not talking about the. I'm not necessarily just uh, solely talking about the academy stuff that was terrible that we you know that we just recently heard about. But I'm talking about the NBA being you know. You know the, the partnership in general has been you know, has taken place for a long period of time, and nobody honestly cared. And when I say that, I'm not being dismissive. When I'm, I, you, you, you know, we've been talking long enough to know that I'm just being matter of fact about it. Well, I mean, and we we can get really just ridiculous here, and I mean, not ridiculous, but ridiculous in that, like, how many times have we had conversations about <clears throat> not you and I specifically, like the global population, the North American population, about you know how are Nike sneakers made? Mm-hmm. Where are they made? How are the people treated who are making those things? And then, oh, yeah, that's sad. We shouldn't do that. And then everyone still buys shoes. Exactly. You, you know, like uh, the reality of the world is what it is. And if you want to fight the fight and be, you know, try to do things that are only ethical, all the power to you. But mm-hmm. Strauss trying to kind of connect these dots by saying that there's a large portion of America that feels left behind by the NBA due to their political hypocrisy and biases was was one hell of a stretch i think and i think that's why people were upset with him but that being said i mean he still did make some good points mm-hmm. overall and so i you know if, if you're one of those people who can actually read an article make sense of things for yourself probably go give it a read um i will say the last thing in the ratings conversation the nba tnt panel mm. <sighs> man i a lot of times, I watch the panel, and I think that Charles Barkley is hilarious. Um, I think Ernie Johnson's excellent at his job. Um, Kenny is, you know, doing his thing. And I always, I, I have often felt like Shaq was dead weight. But Shaq and Charles have a, a history of really making light of today's game and putting down today's players. And, you know, it's good talking points sometimes. We just finished watching this Dallas Mavericks game in which Luka goes for a 43-point triple-double in his fourth-ever playoff game and hits, you know, a ridiculous step-back three for the game winner. And Shaq's response was, yeah, he's great, but I've seen that before. You know, dial down the hype. That's not good for the product, man. You you know how much of a Shaq fan I am and how much of a Shaq guy I am in general. I love Shaq. Everything, you know, like uh, most of the stuff about him. Love it, love it, love it. But that this is one aspect that I'm not necessarily in love with, and I know he's not going to lose any sleep about me, you know, me questioning him or you questioning him or anybody really questioning, you know. But the truth of the matter is, the NBA has to do something about that. Now, I'm talking about one of my favorite shows on TV and on a show that's been entertaining to me for an extended period of time. But when you are looking at a situation, I'm glad that you tied this in. When you're looking at a situation in particular where you're talking about ratings and you're talking about like kind of like the way that you put, you know, package your product and the way that you know the way that you're being received and the way that people are you know analyzing it, that all factors in. I you know I'm I'm never going to be I'm never going to say like don't give former players these opportunities, but I'm going to say if the former player isn't actually in favor of progressing the conversation surrounding the league and isn't in favor of appreciating the, you know like you know what's coming next I got to be honest with you they're you know they're being counterproductive they simply are I get you know and and, I, and I'll, I'll wrap it with this I get people being upset by constantly just saying oh look at what he just did that compares to, I get that we we don't have to we don't have to overcorrect and go to, and, and go completely on the flip side and, and poo poo what was an absolutely incredible performance yeah and like again like i don't think 
that a lot of the broadcasters being bad at their jobs is necessarily why the ratings are dipping, but I don't think it helps. Definitely and, and again, TNT can be hilarious. I, I can very much enjoy the discourse on there, but, you know, <laughs> so you, you tweet anything positive about a player in a big moment, like just their name, all caps, it's tons of activity and people love it because you know excitement is infectious and everyone's coming off this high and then you have this analyst at the desk who just he comes off like a jaded old player who doesn't really take his job seriously and a week earlier didn't even know who the Celtics were starting at forward in a playoff game that he was you know commentating and 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 he says that and it, it's just such, it sucks the life out of him it's not like you know, there's lots of former players. I love Shaq too. I think Shaq. I think I have Shaq higher on the all-time pyramid than you do. I think he's great. Lots of people think he's great. He's not great at talking about basketball. That's kind of where I'm at there. Yeah, he was in it. Like you know, I I I was appreciative when he still when he joined because I think it was actually a good a good mix and you know the back and forth with Chuck was great. Uh, but yeah, we, you know we've heard it all before. And I'm not I'm not advocating for him to leave or anything like that. I'm just advocating for him to be better at it. I'm advocating for him to leave. Give Channing Fry a shot. Give Vince Carter a shot. Give Dwayne Wade a shot. Give somebody else a shot. Time out of there. I've had enough. I'm over it. I'm over Shaq. Championship. Like I have good days and bad days with Charles Barkley, but the championship Charles thing the other night really did have me howling. So. That was that was hilarious. They don't call me championship Chuck. <laughs> yeah, that, that that did kill me. Um, okay, so a couple. We have a couple more series here. Um, so Houston OKC. Again, I missed the majority of this one. I think I caught the first, not even the whole first quarter before I left for this thing. Um, really happy to see OKC get a win. Uh, looks like Chris Paul played well. Looks, looks like the whole team played well. Uh, what were your thoughts here? Yeah, just when I was ready to concede that we both overthought things with this matchup and you know should be ready to apologize to what are going to absolutely be some bloodthirsty Rockets fans on the timeline, the Thunder put together the type of gritty performance that I think we both were kind of uh, sort of anticipating heading into the series, and they pulled me right back in. I'm here for it. Look, it was a second straight, really nice performance. You, you said you didn't see it. Uh, you, no. you, you, you This might be one where you want to go back and look as well because it was a second straight, really nice performance from your boy Shea. Uh, Shea. Uh, but it was actually one of the more one of those balanced and kind of like influence all aspects, you know, aspects types of games for him. And the Thunder uh, very clearly needed that from him. It was like you know you had twenty. You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, he had like 23, 20 plus points. You know, seven six. He had four steals. He was really impacting the game all over the court. And and was that type of player that we I kind of discussed in in the preview episode where I said like they're going to need him to be that guy they're going to need this you know they're going to need the conversation to be about Shea uh you know amongst these giants and and they've gotten that am I saying that the Thunder are are right back and they're going to you know they're going to they're going to be in the driver's seat no uh but you know I will say okay I'll just go ahead and say it the winner of the next game wins this series you think okay so yeah I probably will have to go watch some of this too like I, I I do Love CP3. I love Shea, and I think I've said before, Gallinari is the most underrated player I think in my lifetime. He's so good. Um, he, injuries have held him back, but such a good player. And I'm looking, you know, just at the series stats. Like they have really got a balance. Like 22 from Gallo over the series, 21 from Shea, 20 from Paul, 16 from Schroeder. You know, uh, props to Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. And even before, like I didn't see most of three, but in games one and two, like Jeff Green is. You know, he was another guy, and I was talking about Dallas. Jeff Green got picked up off the scrap heap. His career was over. Now he's, he's the second-leading scorer for Houston, and they might win a playoff series. So props to him. Um, and as much as we, you know, like, 
we'll have lots of discussions about Harden if they win, lose, or otherwise. Harden was pretty bad in, in game two, and they still won. Um, it looks like he was pretty decent in game three, and they lost. So, Yeah, honestly, the Rockets are like, and, and I know I can't be alone in this. The Rockets are one of those teams where it's like, when I think I know what's going to take place, they show me the opposite. And, 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 and it, or, you know, not every time, but a lot of times. Well, like, and that, that was game two. As I think at, at one point in that game, Harden was like three of 14. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he was, was shooting like, he, he was shooting like 20% from the floor. And he just he just looked awful, and and they were they were beating the hell out of the Thunder, and you were like, how is this how is this possible? Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I guess that's just it is what it is. I would I would like to see that series go seven. Um, I mean, I would like to see every series go seven, but I, I think this one especially has the has the potential to do that, and the swings back and forth will be fun. Like yeah, like you, I'd like to see it go seven as well, at least six. Let's get, let's keep this going. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic. The Bucks have kind of figured things out as as we knew they would mm-hmm. um, after a very surprising game one. Chris Middleton has even come back to earth a little bit, so good for them. Um, honest to God, I don't really think there's much more to say about the Bucks until they play Miami in round two. Yeah, it's all over but the shouting for me. You know, like I'll still give the Magic credit for coming out and grabbing that first one, regardless of how poorly the Bucks performed. Uh, and at least for one afternoon, they gave their fans something to troll over, uh, which I got to say, I haven't heard a single peep from any of those folks since that day. And I'm beginning to think that perhaps I might not hear from them again. Yeah, Sad no, they're times. gone. The Sad Magic times. fans are gone. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's overly encouraging, this series, though. I will say that, like the way that Eric Bledsoe and and Chris Middleton, like they, nobody has felt consistently good on the Bucks other than Giannis, and I, I think that might actually, I'm way less confident that they beat Miami than I was going to the playoffs. Same here. Yeah. Same if, here. If like you I, had asked, I'm not predicting the upset, not just yet. No. Let's let's see how these let's see how these series wrap up and what they look like in those last games or whatnot. Uh, but yes, like you, it's kind of it, that's kind of where I'm at. It, it's not that I'm saying that I'm you know, I'm not sold that Clippers can still win a title. Just like you know, you're not saying that the Bucks can't win a title. It's just that I'm no longer as as hot or as high on either one of them. Yeah, no. Before, if we had picked like all the playoffs through, I probably would have said like Milwaukee over Miami in five. Mm-hmm. I, like now, I would need to like before we do our second round picks, I'm gonna have to really think about it because I don't know, man. I. I the Heat were also two and one against Milwaukee in the regular season. Bam plays him very well. Um, Miami's three and zero against Indiana, who I think might actually have Demontis Sabonis back for Game Four. So, oh, is he? Yeah. So they're gonna I, risk that, huh? Okay. They might have him back. I, I know he's in the bubble quarantining now. I think is what I read. So um, the Pacers have seemed very confused, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do and, and and who to play and who to guard. And um, the Heat have not. And I. My one takeaway from this Heat series is just, one, Eric Spolster remains one of the four or five best coaches in the NBA. Um, he Agreed. seems to get them. Just a, he just punts on two starters, two full-year starters, and the team gets better. Um, like, Kendrick Nunn goes from, like, he shouldn't have been a Rookie of the Year candidate anyway, but, you know, going from a Rookie of the Year candidate starting every game all year, now he's not, he can't even get a minute. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it just goes to show you, and... It's why, like, even though I, you know, I'm guilty of criticizing coaches at times, uh, you know, and there, and there are certainly times where they deserve it. 
more, you know, more often than not, an astronomical, you know, or you know, overwhelming you know, amount, you know, more than not, they know their personnel better than we do. They're yeah, in there with them on a daily, day to day basis. They've been there with them, and they know, and they know what, you know, how guys perform against certain matchups. They also know if a, if a guy's not locked in or not. So, you know, kudos, kudos, and, and credit to him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a big aside from like Duncan Robinson is my dude, and I love watching that shoot the three ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Goran Dragic, man, like. Yeah. 23 points a game in the series. He's shooting the lights out. You know, he he was a guy who was just on that cusp of being an all-star level point guard. He probably should have been the sixth man of the year conversation this year. It's kind of weird that he wasn't because if I asked you now if you'd rather have Dennis Schroeder or Goran Dragic or Lou Williams, I, I would assume like a healthy amount of people would take Goran Dragic. So, yeah, it um, would be Goran for me. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of related to that because I saw I saw a reference on the timeline. Uh, do you think that there's anything to that rumor that they were kind of holding Goran back specifically because he's about to be a free agent? Because like I, I look at this and I say, wait, this guy like what the hell? Why 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 didn't we see even more of this? I know he had a he had a solid year for him and he fulfilled I, 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 his role, but what the hell? I honestly put that out as a joke, but like half hearted. Okay. I was like, I wouldn't put it past Pat Riley and Eric Spolster to be like, we need to like make people think he was over the hill so we can bring him back in $11 million a year instead of 30 <laughs> I didn't but even like, see that you would put that out. I, I saw it from somebody else and thought, like, well, shit, man, I, I, I don't want to think that, but I don't know. But, like, you know what? Honestly, he's been, he's been just fantastic for them in, the, in this first round, and if he's going to play at a near all-star level, I think that's a game-changer because they already had two all-stars in Butler and Bam. Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan Robinson Tyler Tyler Hero give them excellent spacing all the time. You know, they, they brought in Andre Godala from Memphis thinking he was going to be a big addition, and I'm not sure that he has been or that he's good anymore at all at basketball, but Jay Crowder has given them some good minutes, and then, you know, shouts down the line to my guy Kelly Olenek because he can still do some things. <laughs> Shout out to our guy Jared uh, Jared Wade. I'm, I, I know you follow him as well. Did you yeah. see his tweet about Kelly Olenek? <laughs> No. He said, if Kelly Olenek isn't your least favorite player in the NBA, I don't know what the hell you're doing or something like that. It was a good one. And, you know, a lot of fan bases don't like him because he does a little bit of that, like, rough Canadian hockey stuff, too. Oh, yeah, he does some dirty stuff at times. Straight up. Yeah. Like, straight yeah. out dirty uh, stuff. But, yeah, no. oh, oh, no, 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 he does. But I, I've I seen Al Horford. I've seen Al Horford go under a lot more shooters than I've seen anyone else in the I, NBA, I, I, and he I doesn't have that rep. So. I would accuse him of doing the same thing, just like I would say the same thing about Chris Paul. Kelly Olynyk does dirty stuff at times, but I would want him on my team. But also, if, if you've been a Team Canada fan and you've watched some of the guys come out for Team Canada, some of the guys not come out, mm-hmm. and then some of the guys who did come out just shit the bed, and Kelly Olynyk goes for 40 <laughs> to keep you alive, and he becomes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you would just always have a little soft spot in your heart for Kelly Olynyk. So. You know, I'm going to be honest, I had actually forgotten that he was Canadian. I was like, damn, he really took up. Oh, oh, got it, got yeah. it. <laughs> How did Kelly Olynyk get five minutes at the end of the show? I don't know. Um, last thing before we do get out of here, um, the new Batman, the, the Batman trailer dropped. Robert Pattinson um, sounds an awful lot like Christian Bale in a couple of the cuts there. But honestly, this trailer looks really, really good. I, I walked away from it thinking like, wow, DC might actually have the recipe. And like, contrary to popular belief, them going darker was always the move. Like, um, I, I think it, it's, it's already been stated that this is going to like dip into horror a little bit. But that that's what it's got to be. It's got to be a thriller horror feel. Like, Gotham isn't nice. Nope. It's not a nice place to live. Batman's not a take-a-picture-with-you-like-Iron-Man hero. 
Um, I got some like David Fincher Seven vibes from this trailer. I got the same damn things. I'm not gonna lie to you. I love the dark. I, the note that I had here was I love the darkness of it. I love that they went with it. Uh, I recognize it's just the initial vibe that they're putting out, and much like you know I've stated before with the initial trailer, uh, especially for these huge movies, uh, you know they're just kind of giving you the bare minimum, the surface level images uh, to simply pique your interest. I'll wait for the second and third before I can really give an honest level of excitement for it. But I definitely looked at. I definitely was. I did. I definitely didn't watch that and say like, uh, eh. You know, I I was right there with you saying like okay dc let's see what you got here yeah and nothing they did with like um suicide squad or justice league or batman versus superman had me at all interested i watched it for like the social commentary and because i thought it'd be a cultural thing i'm actually excited to watch this one i think it'll be i think it'll be quite good Um, i'm still not going to the theater but i will stream the hell out of that when i can yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what 2021 looks like. But Paul Dano and Colin Farrell as villains, too, is very impressive. I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that's a solid duel for him to take on. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this project. Yeah. Um, last thing before we get out of here. Um, Kobe Bryant. Would have been 42 today? Yeah. Um, you know what? Like, Kobe's a legend. If you love Kobe, cool. I, I really am kind of like... I saw like a hundred people today jumping all over themselves to try to get the most retweets mm-hmm. in their like Kobe happy birthday post today. To me, that's gross. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out some stuff like early in the morning when I first woke up because you know, like that's what I'm going to do for a guy that I you know had the pleasure of watching sure. you know that closely. But yeah, I had the same type of reaction. Uh, more than anything, you know, I was actually pleased because for the first time since I think what January 26th. When the Kobe stuff hit the timeline, I was legitimately overcome with like the joy and celebration of it, rather than being sad uh, about all those lives that were lost. And of course, yes, I'm you know that that's still it's always going to be a thought and always going to be a memory. Uh, but yeah, I was actually you know I was actually you know smiling about it. I was actually watching it. I wasn't like quickly scrolling past it. Uh, so you know, honestly, it was really awesome to see the timeline full of those clips and images and anecdotes once again. But yeah, some of the you know please 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 I loved him more than you know I loved him the most you know tweets. I was like okay come on. Yeah, and like again like Kobe wasn't my guy, but I came up with him and and like I I do miss having Kobe in the league and stuff. And, I, and anyone can tweet whatever they want. I'm not saying if you're listening, you're a fraud if you tweet anything about Kobe. But there's just some people who are jumping all over. And it's like seven different tweets of like photo combinations and videos and edits. And, and you can just tell what the game is. And just like, you know, don't use somebody's death for profit, man. Like that's, you know, leave that to evil corporations. Um, and with that, um, if you haven't yet, please like rate review subscribe to the podcast we really appreciate it get those apple reviews up for us so we can keep keep doing our thing um we will have our next pod in the shoot for you thursday morning and before we get out of here um jabbar anything else no man i I, honestly this was a lot of fun we did it a little bit late on a sunday night but i think we brought the energy so i'm like no yeah, and like I mean, Astro hopped in, gave his cameo as as, as normal, and did his thing. Um, so yeah, that's gonna do it for us. We'll be in your feet Thursday morning.
Um, did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the f- for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to BetOnline.ag and use promo code BlueWire to receive your welcome bonus. That's BetOnline.ag promo code BlueWire. Bet online, your online sports book experts. <laughs> 